Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mind Body Greens Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Greens Beauty Director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. On today's episode, I had on Jale Bisharat. She is the co founder of the e retail site Naked Poppy. So Naked Poppy is a clean beauty e-retailer that is a little bit different than the other sites that you might see out there. To start, it really focuses on personalization, using advanced machine learning and algorithms. Jale's background is in tech, which really informs how the company approaches beauty. She'll explain all the ways throughout the episode, so I won't spoil them up top, but it's a really fascinating approach to online shopping. Given that is where the market seems to be going and how prevalent online shopping is, especially with beauty, it only makes sense that we start making the experience smarter. In an ideal world, that would mean, you know, things like less product waste. You wouldn't spend hours scrolling through pages trying to figure out what works for you. And then it also just makes shopping for makeup easier. As we know, makeup can be incredibly challenging to shop for online because you can never really figure out exactly what sort of tone and pigments might look best on your skin. But our conversations explore way more than that. You know, in this episode, we talk about why the industry is so obsessed with looking youthful and what sort of implications and consequences that involves. We also talk about the backlash against clean beauty and what we actually think the backlash should be against. And then also the complicated nature of staying up to date on ingredients and how to read inky lists. It's a super interesting episode. So without further ado, welcome to Clean Beauty School. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Alexandra. Well, I am so excited to have you. I feel like this episode is a long time coming. I am obviously a fan of Naked Poppy. And, you know, you guys have served us very well over the last several years as as sources and fodder for content. So I know that this episode will be so fascinating for myself and I'm sure the listeners. But, you know, as I always like to start off every episode, I I want the audience to get to know you a little bit better. I know a little bit about your story just because, you know, we, we met all those years ago. But I'm excited to learn more. So please, you know, what what is your journey into the beauty industry? So I'll tell you one story from my childhood that actually framed up who I am and how I ended up becoming an entrepreneur, which I never expected to do, much less in the beauty industry because I didn't grow up in it. And then I'll tell you how I actually got into beauty as I, as an adult. So, you know, when I was little, I remember this my whole life. I grew up in Iran You know, girls were not, not all girls were raised to get an education and so on in my day. But my parents were very forward thinking. And I remember my father saying to me from the youngest age that they can take anything away from you. They can take your home. They can take your possessions. They take anything. The one thing that no one can ever take from you is what's in your mind. Mm. So this set me up to think, okay, I better do well in school. But what you probably wouldn't expect happened is actually... We did lose everything. The Iranian revolution came along. My family fled with like nothing. We did lose, you know, lose everything. Everything was left behind. And I was in the United States as a college student. And it was a really scary time. You know, we 
didn't have the money to pay for tuition my senior year of college. I really wanted to graduate. There was a lot of hostility towards Iranians because in 1979, there was this hostage crisis. And so they froze our assets, actually, like wake up one morning, you can't even go to the bank and take out 20 bucks. So I was really stressed out. And I just remember, oh my gosh, what my dad had told me, like this had actually come to pass. You know, everything was taken away, but it it had two effects on me. One was, of course, I was really eager to finish my education. And I went over to the financial aid office and managed to get a job and figure it out and got through college. But it also taught me that I could use my mind to solve any problem. Mm. And it set me up to be a student for life, to always be learning things. And if I didn't think I could do something, well, my mind is there. They can't take that away. And so this philosophy really guided me into the beauty industry because I don't come from beauty. Most of your guests I know have come up through beauty and so on. My background is tech. (laughs) Yeah. I spent many years, you know, more running as an executive at various tech companies like Amazon and OpenTable and Upwork and about, right? And so, but what, what catapulted me into beauty now, fast forward, you know, 35 years. Well, I stepped into the shower one day and it was four months after a clear mammogram. Note that, yeah. by the way, you need to do yourself check. My mammogram had been clear in August. I step in in December. I feel that lump that nobody wants to oh. feel. And of course, I'm in disbelief, you know, go back in and I get that call that nobody wants to get. You know, I did have, I did have breast cancer. And so this was, this was almost 15 years ago now. So I'm fine, but it really, and and honestly, you know, you think it's all bad. Well, I had a full year of treatment and recovery and it was also a full year of introspection and really thinking deeply. I had always been that person actually that was into organic food and a healthy lifestyle. But I hadn't really thought about environmental toxins as much as I did at that time. It's like, sure. how could this have possibly happened? And I'll never know. But it really, you know, I became that person who started shopping for my beauty products at the health food store long before clean beauty became a trend. So when I realized that products were getting more efficacious, I could not let go of the idea of starting a company that would make it easy to buy beauty, particularly clean beauty online, because it's hard to find color products online. Sure. So. You know, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Naked Poppy launched three years ago. Yeah. And, you know, when you were crafting up the idea of the company and, you know, so much, I, I know that so much of it is built around the idea of making clean beauty accessible and also, you know, customizable for your needs. I, what was missing in the market that you saw that you that you decided that that was going to be your entry into it you know like what what was the spark that led to you know this idea so there's two problems we solve the first yeah. is that there's this myth that consumers need to learn how to read labels no consumer sure. can or should be expected to read labels beauty products yeah. are sold you know yeah. there's thousands and thousands of different chemicals some are harmful potentially harmful and others are very clear. So the first problem we solve is having actual scientists review every single product in our store that we carry at the ingredient level. That's number one. But the bigger problem that really hadn't been solved is the problem of how do I know it's going to look good on me if I'm shopping online, Mm -hmm. especially for makeup? We do makeup and skincare, but if you think about it, you know, like when a makeup artist decides what's good, what lip color, you know, what foundation, what concealer, whatever, they're bringing years and years of experience 
to look sure. at you or say, ah, that's going to look good on you. Well, that's where the intersection of humans and machine learning actually does really well. And so, and our customer is a customer that says, just tell me what's going to look good on me. I really, you know, I, I get overwhelmed when I go to brandx.com and I don't know where to go. Or if I walk into the store and 90% of the products are irrelevant to me. So we bring order to that chaos. We've built a this beauty algorithm, it's been patented, that ingests more than 30 pieces of information about you, your personal characteristics, and actually rates every single product in the store just for you, mm. and then isolates your perfect picks, we call them. And you're, choose, you know, you're free to, to choose what you'd like, but it's really this ability to predict what color is going to look good on you that sets us apart, and I think yeah. really solves a problem out there. Yeah. You know, your answer really sparked something in me because your, you know, the the first answer that you said was the myth that people need to be able to read ingredients. And then the second thing that you brought up was, you know, when you go to a makeup counter and you talk to somebody, they're they're an expert and they're there to help you. And I think that that hits on a point that I struggle with so much in the beauty industry nowadays is this idea that the consumer is in and of themselves an expert. And why I struggle with this idea is the fact that not everyone has the time to become, you know, armchair chemist or armchair hairstylist or armchair dermatologist. You know, not everyone has the interest in that. And not, you know, people have busy lives. They have, you know, things that they need to prioritize their time and their money and their brain space on. I think it's become really unfair that we have reached to this point where we expect the consumer to know so, so much about the products that they're using. And I, I think it's really interesting that we've hit this point just because, you know, you, you talk to any sort of beauty influencer out there and they're like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's really important that you do your research, you do your research, but I'm not sure that it is. And I'm not sure that it's fair for the consumer to do you that. You know, it's actually presented as empowering when in fact it's disempowering. You really need, you need an advanced degree in chemistry to keep up with all these chemicals and to keep up with all the studies. It's much more empowering to have someone trustworthy a scientist with your best interest in mind doing that for you, that's number one. And then in terms also of what's going to look good on you, it's not only what's going to look good on you. So let's begin with what's going to look good on you, actually. Across lots and lots of different brands, you know, even when you walk up to the makeup counter, that person's representing that brand. But yeah. to be brand agnostic, to just say, these are all the clean choices. Here's what we recommend for you. Here's what we think is a great match, a perfect match, a great, good, you, but you pick. That's m much more empowering than yeah. you having to become an expert because you're neither a makeup artist nor a scientist. It's much more empowering to just get all the ratings and say, oh, and I can trust that all these are clean. Let me choose from among those and let me ignore the 90% that are completely irrelevant to me. Sure. I talked about the what's going to look good, but there's another layer to it. And I think this audience will be especially interested. So you'd be surprised, but about a third of people have some, almost 40% have some reaction to certain ingredients. We have customers yeah. to have coconut oil, avocado, you know, <laughs> lavender is marketed as so hot. Well, for some people, that's actually toxic to them. Yeah. So layering on also any ingredient allergies or sensitivities, which is a huge technical problem to solve, by the way, because if you say, you know, I'm sensitive to X, a lot of times there will be like 
25 different inking names for mm-hmm. what or the ingredient is. We've mapped all of that so that so that the technology will actually say, oh, you can't have sesame oil. We'll flag every every product in our store that has sesame oil in it, or ses- any form of sesame. Yeah. <laughs> or soy yeah. or wheat or whatever it is. Those are all things that otherwise consumers are literally miserably picking up products one by one. You know, does this have some inky that might be sesame or whatever it is they're allergic to? And, you know, literally some people have abandoned beauty products altogether because it's just because so it's too hard. hard yeah. No, I think it's a it's a really important point. And I think it's a really, really interesting point because it's something that I think about quite a bit. Just how did we get to this point where we expect the consumer to be experts at things that, you know, I I spend my whole day researching this stuff and there are things that I still don't understand. So how can I expect somebody who has a full-time job, a family, or whatever, to then all of a sudden be able to pick up the back of their shampoo bottle and know exactly what's on there? It's just, it's not fair. Um, you know what, Alex? I, I am, you know, co-founder of a clean beauty company. I've done this for years. Almost every day I ask our scientists a question. It's yeah. just not possible. I think the objective is to take the onus off the consumer. That's what's empowering, not to put it on the consumer and say, you know, you're in this never ending, you know, hamster wheel trying to figure out which ingredients you, you know, can interpret. Yeah. Well, this conversation's off to a great start. (laughs) I want (laughs) to ask, what is your beauty philosophy? That's such a good question. I have to tell you, I don't look at a person and say, oh, you know, their genetics make them technically so beautiful. To me, people get become beautiful when they inspire me, when I admire them, when I admire and love them. Yeah. So to me, beauty is not about how you look. It's it's whether or not you're leading a beautiful yeah. life. And by that, I mean, you know, a life of purpose, a life where what you're doing matters. A beautiful life means that you are making the world around you more beautiful through kindness, through leaving it a little bit more beautiful than you found it. Yeah, I love that answer. We, you know, in this podcast, we we take beauty through the lens of well-being, right? And so I always like to also ask our guests if they have a well-being philosophy. You know, how do you how do you view taking care of yourself? You know, what how do you approach that? I love that question, especially because my thoughts about well, wellness and well-being have really evolved over a lifetime. Yeah. And I will say when I was younger, I used to think of like wellness as my body. Mm-hmm. Do I sleep well or any of us? Do we sleep well? You know, are you in good shape? You know, organic food. And it's really been a journey to, to recognize the intersection of mind, body and soul. Mm-hmm. I read this book. I wonder if you read it. It's called The Untethered Soul. I haven't yet, it but was, I know what book you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was a life-changing book. I obviously picked it up right when I was receptive to it. Basically, it talks, it, you know, it, it set me off on this journey into mindfulness, meditation, and really thinking about like what nourishes one's soul. Because honestly, when I look back to when I got breast cancer, of course, it's unknowable. But I remember thinking, why me? I eat so well. I exercise every single day. I get my sleep. You know, I'm hydrated. 
if I'm being honest, the missing piece was stress. I was always rushing. I was a type A person, you know, I was always had more work to do. If there was one thing I needed to work on myself, it, it, it was stress. And so really, you know, going on that journey of what nourishes my soul, I had this app called Daily Calm. I don't know if you're familiar with it, yeah. but I listen to it every single night before going to sleep and I sleep better. Yeah. You know, I can just feel my breath coming down. <laughs> my breathing rate. I can feel myself calming. I can feel myself putting the world into perspective and just being yeah. thankful for another day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think stress is such a big part of the the picture. And I think one that a lot of us struggle with, you know, especially now. So it's always an important reminder to to do what you can to manage your stress levels. Well, and we're in a world of doing more and more stuff. And the yeah. art of doing nothing is actually really lucky. <laughs> yes, I know. That is something that I have tried to spend some time relearning, right? <laughs> I, I think we, for so long, I think we all forced ourselves to know I, every moment of my day has to be optimized or I have to be hustling or I have to be doing this. But I think downtime is is equally as important as any sort of productive. I think we're all learning this. We touched on some issues that were happening and the, that, you know, you saw that were in the beauty industry that spurred you to start to start Naked Poppy, right? But I am curious, you know, what do you see now in the beauty landscape that you that you feel that the beauty industry is getting wrong? Equating beauty and youth. Mm. That's my unequivocal answer. It's yeah. it's. And I'll tell you why, you know, I see people younger and younger worrying about the most exhausting thought in the world, which is yeah. that every single day, like there isn't a single person on this planet that isn't getting older every single day. And it's a huge amount of emotional, physical, you know, mental effort to try and turn back that clock. I, I grew up in a culture in Iran, you know, in this country, honestly, I, one of the things that surprised me here is that almost every aspect of aging, even with the age positivity movement, which is helpful, you know, and I consider myself a fan of it, but there's still a lot about age that's looked down on. I grew up in a culture where at least older people were revered for being wiser. Yeah. You know, when you walked into a room, you always said hello to the older person first. There was a lot in Iranian culture that respects age. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is that, and I promise you that, like, I've talked to lots and lots of people about this issue of age. Pretty much everyone I've talked to over the age of 40 says the same thing, which is, I'm actually happier now. I'm more yeah. confident. I'm wiser. I have better judgment. So why do we spend so much time and money trying to turn back that clock is really something we need to question. And unfortunately, the beauty industry does promote it. Yeah. No, we absolutely do. And, you know, one thing that I try to, to think about and hold my own truth about and then also write about is, you know, aging literally means you're alive. Like, how lucky are you? Right. You know, that's how to lucky age are is to live. Life. And to, to live a long life yeah, means that by definition, <laughs> you will have done more aging. And it, it's exactly what you said. Yeah. How much gratitude 
do we have for those laugh lines that have time to form? May we all be so lucky that we have yeah. a life full of laughter that we develop them, you know? I, and, you know, also, I do think, I mean, I don't want to take away from all the messages that we get. It, it, you know, I feel them. I have sure. felt them. I have chosen not to intervene with, which doesn't mean that I judge anyone else who, who wants an intervention. Everyone should do what makes them happy. I think what I would say, though, is, you know, I would hope that we can reach a point where if you want to make a change, it comes from a place of desire and joy, not mm. shame mm -hmm. and not feeling bad about yourself. And those are two very different things. I have a friend who's just a really successful person in the tech industry who recently told me that she felt like the need to get Botox because she felt like she'd be more likely to get hired in that way. Wow. She's really good at what she does. Why would that have, and you know, not even in the beauty industry, why would that have anything to do with it? But that's the message she's been getting from the industry. And so to me, that's, that's, that's to be challenged. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask this question again, but it's focusing on the clean beauty industry. You know, it's a, it's a part of the beauty industry that both you and I operate in. And it's an, you know, it's, it's a movement within the industry that I am proud of. And I, I think is making valiant efforts to make the industry a better place, but that's not to say it's perfect. So, you know, what within the, the clean beauty industry, do you see that the industry is perhaps getting wrong or needs to, you know, course correct? Yeah, I'm part of it. I admire it. <laughs> I know how hard it is, but there are several things I think we can take as challenges. The first is actually what we already talked about, which is expecting consumers to read labels. For me, another big one is actually no lists. I think no lists are kind of an easy way out. Yeah. There are 12,500 ingredients available for use in personal care. So even if you ban a hundred of them, <laughs> Even if you ban a thousand of them, let's say that leaves 11,500 chemicals that can be used in this country that aren't all created equal. And they're certainly not all created equal for the environment. Mm. So we've actually, our solution to that is to not just say, here's our no list and anything without these chemicals can be in our store. We actually have a live person, I, I mentioned this earlier, who screens every ingredient, every product we carry. She's only actually let in. Out of the 12,500, 12, you know, about 1,270. So every single ingredient in our store has been studied. And we've also had times where something had been let in and then a new study comes out and we remove it from our shelf. So I think this concept of an affirmative yes is very different from just no. <laughs> yes. Because there's too much room, wiggle room outside of a no. I, I'm telling you, we've seen brands, you know, you know, very popular and clean at, and she looks at them and she says, but this ingredient, I don't even know how they, how they got the moniker. So I think no list is, is a big one. The other one is equating natural to mm. better for you. You're nodding. It sounds like you've thought about this too. You know, there's all kinds of natural things, <laughs> you know, that aren't better for you. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of synthetics that are actually better for you. And I think the whole natural movement is a little bit of a greenwashing term. Yeah. To, to, you know, to sort of, you know how we hear about this backlash against clean beauty? 
Yes. You've probably, since you're in the industry, you've heard about it a lot. Yeah. I really don't think the backlash is against clean. I think the backlash is against clean washing. People are tired of misleading marketing. Not so much, you know, no, I mean, who can object to products that are better for you? Absolutely. So, and I think this whole 100% naturalist part of it, I mean, another example is preservatives. Yeah. For something to be 100% natural, it has to be preservative free. Well, by definition, when you put water in, which is, it's a common ingredient, you need to prevent microbes from growing. Yeah. So we need some degree of preservative. Absolutely. You know, the preservative part of the the conversation is always so, so challenging, especially with the consumer, because preservatives have been vilified for so long. And so, you know, I really do feel like there is this education hill that we have to get over because, you know, to your point, they, they are they are needed in a lot of products. Um, and more so, you know, to to touch on the the natural point that you just said, I was talking to another cosmetic chemist on on this podcast, and he said something that always stuck with me. You know, it's if you want something natural, but you also want it shelf stable, it's those are two like incongruent statements. Like so, something that's natural can't sit on your shelf for two years. Like. That, that'd be like saying an apple can sit on in your refrigerator for two years. You don't want to eat that apple. <laughs> That's 100% correct. And also, I would rather have a very small dose of preservative on my eye than have bacteria growing it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I completely agree. So we, you know, we kind of, you, we mentioned clean washing, green washing. We obviously know it's a big issue in in our industry, we know that it comes up a lot. It's certainly something that I am, you know, have to deal with a lot within my own writing, et cetera. So I, I want to ask, you know, how do you and your company approach these clean washing brands? And then, you know, how can people be better about identifying what might be a clean washing? You know, are there things that people can look out for? Are there things that you look out for? Well, I'll start with your second question first, which is how can consumers at least have a preliminary, look for some preliminary red flags? I'd say 100% natural is a, is a yellow flag. Yeah. You know, natural looking imagery on something, you know, doesn't mean it's natural just because it has a cherry on the packaging or, you know, so that's number one. Number two, you know, if you're looking into a brand, look up their definition of clean. If it's not clear and front and center, then because there is no, it's not like organic is with food. We don't have some government agency defining clean. Yeah. The, you know, the brands themselves have to define what they mean by clean. And if it's a really clear definition to you, and, and of course we, we do this with the brands that we offer, you know, the other one is just, are the, is the ingredient list right front and center and transparent? Not every brand does that. And that's important, you know, and then. Is there an investment in science? One of the things that actually bothers me about the way that the, the whole clean back, I, I was watching this influencer on YouTube the other day and he said, clean versus science-based. And I thought to myself, why is that even in, in conflict? A truly good clean brand is science-based. Yeah. So that brings me to my, you know, the first part of your question, which is what do we do? Well, we have scientists. So, you know, right now we have three different people. One of them that's everything. She's sort of our in-house scientist who's on top of all the brands, asks any questions she wants to ask, looks at all the, you know, I, I explained that earlier. She looks at every single ingredient, both for your 
health and the environment, you know, and then we have people on our advisory board, a green chemist who we go to for, for advice. And we have a, you know, very, very prominent environmentalist who keeps us honest on the environment. Yeah. And I should add, by the way, about our scientists, she also vets all of our content. Oh, wow. To make sure that what we're saying is accurate, as yeah. accurate as we possibly be. I mean, sure. I guess if there's one other critique of the industry and, you know, it's a tough one to find a solution, it's there isn't as much research as we need. Yeah. Independent research that doesn't have an agenda where we can all look at and say, okay, well, this ingredient is not as healthful as this other one over here. There's lots of data holes. I mean, that that touches on something that certainly we can't fix here, but it is something that is very frustrating for a lot of us because, you know, I think it, it so much of it, so many of us are hungry for this data. We're hungry for the research. Like it's not, it's not that we ever want to, you know, being clean is never, ever anti-science. We want data showing what informs our decisions. We want this stuff. It's just sometimes it's just not there or it's not there yet. Um so, you know, I, I certainly agree with that statement quite a bit. You mentioned setting up parameters or definitions of clean when, when you look at brands, right? So that leads me to a question that I wanted to ask you regardless is what 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 is your definition of clean and, you know, what informs your definition of clean? So we have four pillars. The first is better for your health. Yeah. You know, scientists, scientists reviewed. The second is better for the environment. Also scientist reviewed, meaning if something is fine for your health, but it might be a microplastic or something, she's actually started to get much more. It's, it's kind of annoying sometimes, honestly, because it's like I want to carry something and everyone else's. But, you know, our earth is increasingly fragile and the environment is our health. So, you know, looking yep. very strictly at the environment and then the environmental practices of our partners. The beauty industry is far from environmentally clean, but but companies and brands that are taking meaningful steps forward are preferable to those that aren't and who share the values of, of, of you know, making change. The third category is, is everything we carry is cruelty-free. And then the final one is that it be ethically made. If there's mica, can we see a statement that no child labor was involved? Examples like that. Okay. So the one other piece of it is that we use what's called the precautionary principle. Some people might say, oh, you know, that's, that's that's too strict, but our thought is better safe than sorry. So if we're just not sure about talc and asbestos, you know, we just don't accept talc because yeah. it might help. You see what I'm saying? If yeah. it, or if the studies are just not conclusive, but they point to a possibility, we prefer we take the precautionary approach. Yeah. Just so people who may not understand or may not know, the precautionary principle is also something that the EU kind of they also use to inform what ingredients they allow and do not allow so and it's something that we and it's something that we use on our site too you know we try as best to just say hey we're not quite sure obviously the choice is up to you but you know the data points that there might be some cautions when you're using this ingredient xyz so i think it's a it's it's how we approach beauty as well i think it's for now, it's the best way to do it until we have more information. By the way, you might be interested in this. Yeah. One example that does come up, actually, that we often, and we have to explain people in the other direction, is when people get scared because they read a report about 
like titanium dioxide and eminence. Sure. Yes. <laughs> no email. Uh, yeah, no, that came up just recently. I right. absolutely remember. Continue. <laughs> and so, you know, we don't want to live in a world that's completely alarmist. After all, beauty products are made to be enjoyed, not to be scared of. And so, you know, we also do education the other direction of there is a difference between topical application and swallowing something. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the issues that comes up with that for so long, especially in the clean and natural beauty space, you know, people would always say, oh, if I can't eat it, I don't want to put it on my skin. Or, you know, if I can't pronounce the name, I don't want to put it on my skin, which is just a very limited way of viewing beauty products because that's yes. you and I both know that's not how any of this works. <laughs> right. And there's plenty of unpronounceable things that are fine for your skin because they have chemical names. Exactly. Oh, my God. There's so many names that I butcher and can't pronounce because <laughs> they're far too complicated, but I, I will happily put them on my skin. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I, because you run a company that is so, so much of the basis of it is in tech. And I, I'm curious because I would assume that you guys probably have some pretty good insights on how people are shopping and what sort of trends you're seeing and what, what's resonating with, with your consumers. So, you know, what sort of trends, trends are you seeing that are on the horizon? So some of the big ones, well, in our case, the personalization and color matching is huge among our customer base. I mean, that makes yeah. sense. They come to us for the color matching and they tell us that's why we're here and the ability to shop online. So that's number one. A big one, this won't surprise you, I don't think, given what you do, but our stickiest customers tend to be pregnant. Mm. And it's that whole life's moment of, you know, I felt invincible but I've got this being inside of me and I'm not going to risk anything. Please take the precautionary principle with my child. And so people will change up their entire routines. And then that is that life moment. The second life moment, actually, that that is is getting older and either getting an illness or knowing someone who had an illness and saying, shoot, you know, I'm 60 years old. I hadn't thought about this before, but actually I why not use clean products? They're not a compromise anymore anyway. And then the other big trend we started to allude to is sustainability. And that's the interest in, you know, brands that map my values. I want it to be sustainable. I want to know that the, you know, the, the brand is shipping to me in a, as sustainable a fashion as possible and using, you know, materials that are sustainable and so on. Actually really started propping up in serious numbers in the last couple of years. Mm. It, 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 it's it's definitely, you know, I call it more of like the canary in the coal mine where people sure. are more proactively mentioning it to us. We do an annual survey, I should say, and I just got the results in. It didn't used to be mentioned as proactively as it is now. Interesting. Which I think is a good thing because I think the concern about the planet is quite real. And so I'm glad yeah. people are now talking that's, about it. That's very reassuring to hear. Sometimes I feel like we, you know, my body green has been talking about the need for a more sustainable approach to living for a long time. And, you know, it's something that obviously I have been concerned about. And sometimes I do feel I'm like, is the message getting through? Because you pull up your Instagram or you pull up TikTok and and you just become inundated with a lot of these brands and these beauty halls that are not sustainable. I, I personally can get a little almost discouraged sometimes. How do you feel when you, you know, do you, do you feel that on a broader scale, the message is getting through? Obviously you see it with your consumers, but you know, where, where do you fall on this discussion? Yeah. I see both sides. 
Meaning yeah. I do see, honestly, I think beauty boxes are an example of waste and stockpiling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when someone else just sends you stuff every month for you to try and then half of it you don't even like and it sits in your drawer. So I guess I would say that that's in the category of stuff I would call, <laughs> you know, I would critique. I do see more and more people, I told you this, you know, yeah. proactively raising the environment as a concern. And I do think this idea of guiding people towards fewer, better things that are actually going to work for them so they're not stockpiling is in itself environmentally principled and more responsible. I mean, the best way to reduce environmental impact is to use less, yeah. is to not, and, you know, certainly get your products and enjoy them. But if you're not going to use them, then that's wasteful. So that's what we want to limit. And that's really my perspective. Unused products that sit there and then get tossed, you know, after a couple of years because they were never used. Yeah. No, I think you're so right. And I do, you know, I do hope that this culture of buying a ton of products only to test it, you know, a handful of times, I hope we are starting to move past that because I do... That is like the one thing that really, really bothers me about our industry. I mean, there's a lot of things that bother me about our industry, but that is certainly at the top of the list. I just, when I, when I log on to social media and I see these beauty halls of just so many products and these people just, they try one swipe of it and, and that's it. I mean, it just, it breaks my heart almost. I'm like, no, that is so much waste. Yeah. I think we'll look back someday and question how we did that. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think that that is going to be a big blight on the beauty industry when we look back on. So, you know, you obviously, you're at this intersection of beauty and technology. And I do think that with the help of technology, we can better serve the beauty customer and we can better help people and guide people, which obviously, you know, you you believe in too and you you are showing that it is possible. So, you know, I'm curious, what 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 is the future of of this blend of beauty and technology? You know, what are sort of innovations are on the horizon that excite you? So I think we'll also look back someday and say, how did I ever shop by just rifling through screens and screens and screens of products? Like what a waste of time. Most of them had nothing to do with me. Yeah. I do think personalization is the future. We think we've made a real contribution to it, but we're just at the beginning. And certainly the ability to shop online, to not have to drive to the store. Maybe you don't have one close to you. Maybe you're a busy mom or, you know, busy person and prefer to shop online. The ability to actually find color cosmetics online that are personalized to you. You know, as your life changes, the ability to have your beauty routine evolve. For example, you move from a humid climate to a dry climate, you know, yeah. to not have to to not you, the consumer, have to go read labels and figure out what to buy now, but to be able to type in your zip code and have your whole routine update where a routine that's more appropriate for a dry climate, for example, we, we have customers who are like that. I think all of those things are just going to become what you expect. Okay. And we're going to look back and say, just how did I shop any other? Yeah. Online shopping is, it's overwhelming. Absolutely overwhelming. So, you know, there has to be a solution for that. Part of the reason, you know, I think there's a reason that makeup is one of the last categories to go online. Yeah. And it's because the way a makeup artist reasons is actually very complicated. It's not just what's your skin tone and undertone. You know, the contrast between your hair, your eyes, your skin, you know, yeah. the nature of your undertone actually defines what lip color you can wear. 
what's going to flatter you. You know, there's, there's just a whole lot that goes into it that, again, consumers can't be expected to figure out. No, of course not. Yeah, I think, I think makeup is the, the last piece of this puzzle that is, it's, it's very challenging. And I think it's very challenging for people to be able to, to shop and especially when you move it online. Oh, I was just going to tell you, there's yeah. one other aspect of personalization yeah. that I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> well, it's not only finding the right products for you, you know, including things like if your eyelids are oily. Sure. Or that change your eyeshadow or whatever. It's also, and again, I'm reflecting our thoughts and what we do, but we snap a photo of you, which of course we don't share with anyone but ourselves, but it puts us in a position to do things like analyze the shape of your face and help you identify the best way to apply your makeup in a private space in your Naked Poppy Beauty profile, as an example. So it's not only like what you buy, but how you use what you Mm. buy. Yeah, because, you know, I know a big problem with a lot of people is, you know, they buy a product and they don't necessarily, they don't realize that this product needs to be used a certain way to receive, to, to achieve the desired effect, right? And so they use it like they would, you know, let's, let's use cream blush, an example, right? They've only ever used powder blush their entire life. And then they get a cream blush and it's a totally different application process. It works totally different on the skin. You know, you might apply it to different areas, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's so much nuance that goes in just, and all you did there was just change the delivery format of the makeup product. And all of a sudden you have to relearn everything, but the consumer doesn't always know that rightfully so, you know, they're not makeup artists. And so they get a cream blush and they say, oh, this doesn't work on me. I don't like it. And it not it wasn't that it was a bad product. It was that they didn't know how to use it and fold it into their broader routine. I mean, you see that happening all the time. You're so right. Or the shape of their face sure. is different from the next person. And so the application will be slightly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's just so much nuance with all this stuff. And it's it's hard for, you know, people to understand, you know, how to use the products that they that they're purchasing without a little bit of guided help. And, you know, they they should proceed receive guided help because like you know we've said throughout this episode multiple times they shouldn't be expected to be experts you know that's that's not their day job (laughs) (laughs) that's right okay so let's talk about what you do for yourself we'll start with your beauty routine what what is what do you use for skincare we'll start there depends on morning versus evening but i'll give you a quick rundown sure so i cleanse twice a day big believer in cleansing gentle cleansing I either use the Naked Poppy Cleanser or Indie Lee. It's a brand I really like. I always spritz with this product called the Fit Glow Ceramides Mist. Ceramides are good for your skin. I really don't know how much ceramides I'm getting from a mist, but to me, mist is just really a sensory experience. And so I do it for, because I enjoy it. I then put on (laughs) Naked Poppy's facial oil, which I particularly love and our eye cream. And I use Sun Tangerine for my sunscreen. And there's this mask that I just love called the 27 Rosiers. It's called the Ready Selfie Go. I don't know if you ever tried it, but I haven't, but I love that brand. They have a really, really great face moisturizer that I just, my friend. Yes. My friend. Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. Well, the mask is lovely. So on a weekend, I use that. And then what do you do for makeup? So I dark circle. (laughs) 
That's, that's why the eye cream was so important. <laughs> but there's a lovely, lovely color corrector by Fit Glow. Mm-hmm. And I always, I'm that person that has to use both color corrector and concealer. So I use a concealer by Cloven Hallow. And then we have our own EWG, a verified eyeliner. It's be, I think it's because I grew up in the Middle East, but my Desert Island product, I just love a black eyeliner and put it on. It's one of the best know, liquid liners on the market, for sure. I love it. It's the one I use. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning. I didn't know that. That yeah. makes me happy. And then mascara-wise, there's a new, relatively new clean mascara called Talk T-O-K. Are you familiar with it? No, I need to look this up. I use it during the day and the evening. I use Aether Mascara, A-T-H-R. It's just a really lovely volumizing mascara, more for evening. And Kozas has a great, you mentioned cream blush. <laughs> yeah. Use their blush. And then Ritual Defeat is my go-to lip color. And actually, Naked Poppy found that one for me. And, you know, nothing beats it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. brand, too. Great color brand. So let's talk about your well-being must-haves. You know, we we believe everything is skincare here, from how much you <laughs> sleep to, to your stress levels to everything. Right. So how do you take care of yourself? So you mentioned sleep. <laughs> God actually gave me good sleep, but I really try to enhance it. I do yeah. several things for sleep. And one is I make sure I get enough of it. Yeah. At least eight hours every night. I don't vary my schedule on the weekend. I just found even if I shift it by 45 minutes on the weekend, it, it's not. So I just, it's like I'm that person that just gets in bed by 10, you know, and gets up at six. I stop eating three hours before sleeping. Yeah. I read that somewhere and it really has made a difference. And then I also do the daily calm right before I go to bed because it it, it has this really calming effect on me. So um, sleep to me is the basis of almost everything. In the morning, I work out rain or shine. Okay. As long as I'm healthy, I work out. I don't consider myself an athlete, but for years, I have worked out six to seven days a week. Wow. You know, you, you probably call it moderate, like 30 to 45 minutes. And I learned something from, from someone who used to be in the Air Force that I've never forgotten. You know, they told them, your workout is like a meeting that cannot be rescheduled. Mm. I thought to myself, that's correct. Yeah. I'm more productive, you know, and happier if I do my workout. And so it's literally on my calendar. When my team can see it. This is your yeah. workout. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, Time to work out. I don't even think about it. And then, you know, food, long time. I grew up in a country where we only had real food. I actually even grow stuff in my garden. I love organic food. But the mental health thing is probably, as I said, you know, the stress reduction is my ongoing journey. So I, you know, I take meditation classes when I can. You know, there's this concept of one's emotional fuel that also someone else mentioned to me, actually just a friend which really stuck with me. It's like we each have something that gives us emotional feel, something that makes us happy. For me, that's cooking. I find it creative. I find it meditative. I find harvesting stuff from my garden and then putting it in my food just makes me peaceful, happy. (laughs) And so that's one of the things I do for my own mental health that I used to not recognize as so important to me, stepping outside and, you know, clipping lemons and favas or whatever and cooking. And so I'm happy that I put my finger on my emotional fuel because yeah. it really has been, has been wonderful. Yeah. I love that phrase, emotional fuel. It can be so different for different people. You know, I'm married to someone for whom fly fishing is emotional fuel, getting out in nature. You know what I mean? It's just, you just have to know what fuels you. 
I think it'd be a struggle for adults to figure it out too. I think when you're kids, you are like encouraged to have so many hobbies and, you know, extracurriculars or whatever it is. And then as you become an adult, you don't necessarily feel like you have the outlets to do all that sort of stuff. But it's so, so important to find. Yeah. It's like, what, what do you do that literally lifts your soul? Yeah. That's it. And then you got to stick with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, listen, I am so, so happy we got to do this. I loved this conversation. I feel like we touched on so many interesting touch points in the beauty industry. And I think you have such a such a fascinating and such an important point of view about the beauty industry. And so I am so, so happy we got to have this conversation and I got to learn more from you. And, you know, I got to walk away with this conversation with a few things to think about for, for my own content. So thank you. Thank you. I'm totally honored. I just love this hour. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.